Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today. Tell you what, Southwest doesn't have any good football teams, but they do make wonderful whiskey. Uh, I don't know where to go to get Arizona whiskey, so I did the next best thing and got New Mexico whiskey. There's a lot of Arizonans that are yelling at me right now that they're not the same state. I fully acknowledge that, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know what Arizona distilleries are. So I, I got Cole Kagan from New Mexico, same general region, close enough to me. Uh, it's Cardinals Day today. They're not a good football team. Nope. We're going to do our best to explain, A, why they're in the position that they're in now, and also the potential very good position they could find themselves in in about 18 months or so. Uh, 2023 is going to be rough, but we're going to do our best to get you through it. So with that, Jay, roll the intro. Welcome, one and all, to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm Brett Coleman. That's my lovely co-host, EJ Snyder. Uh, it's Cardinals Day today. Again, we had to grab something stiff uh, for this one because I don't think coffee was going was gonna to get us no, through because it. Because the Cardinals are less than lovely this year. A little bit less than lovely. Um, I will say, though, in your effectiveness summary, not to jump the gun, they, they scored a lot higher than I expected for the team that they were last year. Uh I, I still think they're going to be dropping a little bit in 2023. I'm trying to be diplomatic about it, folks, okay? They're not good, and they're going to be bad, and they're going to pick in the top five, probably. The only question is, is this lost season going to be worth it in the form <laughs> of potentially one Caleb Williams? Is this lost season going to be lost enough? Are yes. they going to be bad for the good reasons and bad enough for the possibly great reason? We'll know. And we'll talk about the effectiveness summary that you mentioned and describe why that looks backwards and why we think looking forwards it might be even more dire, but that might be a good thing. Anyways, going back to 2022 to set some context, last year, overall record 4-13, and 13, not great. Thinking that they might be worse this year is a, is a tough thing, but with all the things we'll talk about, we'll explain that. Rank in the division, obviously fourth. Home record, one and eight. This is one of the worst home records we've seen so far through this series. Uh, they did nothing to defend home turf in Arizona. Road record, not much better at three and five. And in terms of being a team on the upswing, no, not really. They were 0-5 in their last five games. So um, very few reasons for hope coming out of last season. And a lot of that was due to injury. We'll talk about those reasons and why 
last season brought on the changes we saw for this season. But in these team summaries, we've got an effectiveness summary for you that's based on EPA per play. We've broken it down into offense and defense. Really, is this football team good at doing football-y team things, right? Can they build skills that help them win football games? So rushing offense, passing offense, rushing defense, passing coverage, points scored, and points allowed. We'll start with the rushing offense, which was some of the better news out of the desert. Cardinals ranked 16th in the league in EPA per play when rushing the football. Passing offense, 27th. Yikes. There's a lot of reasons for that. Not a good number. Rush defense, right back up to 17th. Again, mid-pack. You can win with that in the NFL these days. Pass coverage, 22nd. Not good. Points scored, 340, which was good enough for 21st. You're going to have to be a really good defensive football team to win games with that number. Uh, points allowed, 449. They were not a good defensive football team in terms of points defense. That was only good for 31st in the league. One out of the basement, and that gave them a staggering points differential of negative 109, which was 29th in the league. You're not going to win a lot of football games when that's the bottom line. We take those top six numbers of league ranks, add them up, get the average, gives us our bootleg power score. For the Cardinals, it was 22.3, which is a little higher than you might think it to be. Uh, fully expected them to be down in the mid-20s. Again, a lower score is better. This is like golf. But I would say looking forward to the 2023 season, we could see that number go even lower. I'm really fascinated by this team for a bunch of reasons. Some of them are morbid. Um, <laughs> but like looking at the, the the changes that were made on the coaching staff, and I mean, the whole, whole thing got reshuffled. I think a lot of the... Uh, from a scheme perspective, I think a lot of the things that went wrong on last year's offense and also a lot of the things they prioritized on last year's offense are not going to be present going forward. Now, huge caveat, Kyler not playing to start the year and who knows if he's going to play at all. Correct. In, in 2023, um, that will, that will force things to adjust against, uh, adjust away from maybe what they would have ran if, if, even if he was healthy, but I do think that fundamentally the offense and also the defense schematically are going to look a lot different than what we saw last year, which could have a potential huge effect, especially as they start moving guys around. Like, do you know Zayvon Collins is an edge now? He's not an yes. inside linebacker anymore. They moved him to edge. Um, there's a lot of change coming. And just to give a little schematic rundown here, uh, talking about that run game, which they were pretty good at, well, at least – at least average at <laughs> better than <laughs> other year. things at uh you know cliff had a, a very intriguing and, and creative run game when he was there um they were very good at creating angles they were very good at creating space using pullers and down blocks and everything like that uh they ran a hell of a lot of counter they were second in the nfl in counter under cliff uh, i think the ravens were the only team that were ahead of them so uh especially from from shotgun they were very counter heavy they were uh fourth in the inside zone which you expect from a heavy gun team to be but they were dead last in outside zone and so they were sort of greg roman ish 
uh, I would say, in terms of their run game, but they leaned more on inside zone than power, whereas the Ravens leaned more on power than inside zone. Looking at how that changes for this year with uh, Drew Petson coming in, who came from Cleveland. He was there for three years under Stefanski. Before that, he was in Minnesota for six years, very much a, a Gary Kubiak, uh, Kevin Stefanski disciple, I would say. I am fascinated to see how that run scheme changes for this year because, again, they were dead last in outside zone. They didn't really go under center. And with Kyler, why would you, right? They didn't really lean on anything other than inside zone and counter. And they ran some draws because, again, they had Kyler. But they didn't do a lot of the Gary Kubiak style uh, offense uh, when it comes to the ground game. How much of that is going to be mixing and matching, right? Because you don't really want to run a Kubiak-style run game with Kyler, but you also don't really want to fully lean into what they did with Cliff either because they were uh, they were a little bit too one-dimensional, in my opinion, uh, in terms of we're running inside zone, we're running inside zone. Here's counter, we're running inside zone, we're running inside zone. I'm very curious to see what the mix is going to be. I think it's going to land somewhere in the middle. And uh, and hopefully, if Kyler comes back this year, we get a better idea of what they want to do. So you want to hear my theory? Kyler doesn't come back at all? Nope. Doesn't have anything to do with that. What? This is all an elaborate ploy by you to get one of your favorite players more touches. Keontae Ingram. <laughs> this, is, this is building the Keontae Ingram hype train to, hey, he can run outside. You could use him for that. That's the thing is James Conner doesn't fit that type of offense, right? They did, for all of Arizona's faults in uh, personnel acquisition and roster building, of which there are many. Yes. They, in terms of the run game, and perhaps this is reflected in those numbers, it being decent as opposed to lots of other you know, statistics for their team not being decent. They did match personnel to what they wanted to do. They got big hulking guards who could mash people inside. They got James Conner pound between the tackles. And then they did that. And that's better than what they did in a lot of other areas on their football team. But I would expect, given the coaching changes alone, outside zone is not going to be 32nd in the league for them next year. No, I would expect to at least be... Well, again, it depends on how much Kyler's playing, right? Because Kyler just doesn't doesn't do under center. But if Kyler's out the entire year and, you know, we're looking at, uh, I guess it would be Colt McCoy or Clayton Toon, but Colt, Colt McCoy is more likely. If Colt McCoy is the starting quarterback, I would expect like 35%, 40% outside zone and really just run that offense because you can with Colt McCoy. It's going to look wildly different than what Cardinals fans are used to seeing. But it also might be better than what Cardinals fans are used to seeing. I, I guess we'll find out. Reminds me a little bit of the Bills, right? When Josh Allen got hurt, we kept saying they can't just be the Josh Allen show all the time. They have to diversify the offense. They have to do a few more things. They have to add variation. Well, Josh got tweaked and he wasn't able to be Superman all the time. And we actually saw their offense get better when they brought more balance in. I think to a lesser extent, let's temper expectations. We could see some of that effect in Arizona with, hey, this isn't the full-time Kyler show anymore because he's not going to be playing for sure at the beginning of the year. Can we do, can we mess around with a few other things? Nobody has any expectations for us anyways. While nobody's watching, let's try some stuff 
and see what works. I'm also very curious to see defensively what changes are coming schematically. Um, there's a lot of speculation that they're going to be trying to go more towards like the Fangio style defense, two high safety structures, a lot of quarters, bunch of quarter, quarter, half, half, quarter, quarter, which they did do quite a bit of quarter, quarter, half last year. They were 10th in the NFL at that, but they were 24th in straight up quarters. So really playing anything that had to do with splitting half the field into quarters uh, was was more of a situational call uh, for them rather than something that they leaned into heavily. Mm -hmm. Um, Really what they played more than anybody was cover three. They were a very heavy cover three team. Um, Not that they won't play any cover three this year, but I have to imagine it's not going to be 47% of all of their snaps in cover three like last year. There will be a shift. Yes. I just, again, I'm not entirely sure how much yet. We might not know until like October when we really get a feel for for how they're using their personnel. And also, again, like I mentioned, Zayvon Collins, you know, converting to edge, like how much edge is he playing? Is it, is it like a hybrid role? You know, once upon a time, Hassan Reddick was an inside linebacker that occasionally played edge. And then, and then the Eagles figured out that was really stupid. <laughs> we should just play him at edge full time. No, that's, maybe that's a little bit unfair to Vance Joseph. He kind of had to play Reddick there because he his hand was forced. Um, I did a whole video on that like years ago about how when Terrell Suggs came in and they had Chandler Jones, they uh, not to get too deep in the weeds, but they they literally couldn't use Suggs in any other way than they used Suggs, and they couldn't use Jones in any other way than they used Jones. So they they had to move Reddick inside, but it wasn't a fit, and it was just a shit show. So it's not entirely Vance Joseph's fault, but. They have a checkered history with inside linebacker picks. Yeah, and it's it, it's not even the fault of the coaches or the players. I just think that their former general manager really loved picking linebacker pieces that just didn't fit what they wanted to do, and they took them anyway. And then they're like, oh, they'll figure it out. And it's like, I don't know, maybe have a plan before April. <laughs> well, the funny thing is they have, you know, again, not to get super deep in the weeds, but I think it's more fun to talk about previous teams than it is to talk about this one. Two top picks in a row were ostensibly inside linebackers in Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins. Zayvon Collins is now at edge and Isaiah Simmons is listed as a nickel. And he's like a he's like a Tyus Bowser type. It's like space player slash linebacker slash edge, which if I was going to cast Simmons in this type of defense, I originally would have said, oh, he's going to be Leonard Floyd. Right. But now Zayvon Collins is going to be Leonard Floyd. So it's like, is Simmons just a true full inside linebacker? Are we just going with that now? Like, I, I guess we'll find out. I would love for him to just stay in one spot and stick there for once. But, you know, I don't know. Beggars can't be choosers, I guess. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's schematically this team is going to be very different overall. It's it's tough to figure out exactly what the mix is going to be. Um, and to be perfectly honest, without their starting quarterback on the field, we still might not really see what this offense is supposed to be until 2024. It's just it's tough. It's going to be a bit of mix and match on both sides of the ball. There's going to be a lot of change. There's a lot of change. I mean, front office, head coach, coaching staff, all the way down. We're going to see 
that typical first year turnover, we've already started to see it in terms of getting your guys into the building. Um, different drafting strategy, again, to match these now shifting strategies on both offense and defense. And you're right, there's this sort of tidal period between regimes where you kind of have to do the best you can with what you inherited because you can't recycle the entire team in one year. And so the picture we get certainly through the first half of this season is not going to be particularly clear on either side of the ball. It's going to be the best they can do with what they have, and they're going to be trying to figure things out. It's a rebuild. There's no other way to describe it. Now, the the men in charge of that rebuild we got Monty Austin Fort in year one, Jonathan Gannon in year one, Drew Petzing, like we mentioned, year one, Nick Real- Nick Rallis, year one. Uh, it's it's a lot of fresh faces. I will reserve judgment. I, I will give them grace because this year is going to be very unfair for them. That being said, very similar to when Dan Campbell took over in Detroit, I just want to see fight. As long as I see fight, it's okay if they lose. I just need to see that the team, who is fully aware this is a lost year going into it, everybody on the Cardinals roster knows what this year is. Yeah. I at least want to see them try and and you know play for their coach and buy in. That's all you can really ask for. Yeah, and that's what we're going to see. And if they don't, they're not going to be around, right? They will be moved. That's what the, I think, GM and head coach combo are looking for this year. Who are our guys? Who are going to be stalwarts that we want to retain in this system or the systems we're moving towards going into the future? And who are guys that really just aren't fits, um, don't buy in, don't play well in what we want to do? It's essentially an extended tryout. The one place I'm going to give early judgment is Monty Asenford as GM. I'm, I'm all about it because, again, you say you want to see fight from the players and, and you know, we'll get an idea about scheme on the coaching side. From the GM side, one thing we haven't seen out of the desert in a long time is realism. Hmm. They didn't take a realistic look or they weren't very good at self-scouting and saying, where are we bad? Where do we need to spend our resources? Should we push? Should we pull back? Monty Ossenfort's approach during the draft this year was a breath of fresh air because he was very realistic about what he was inheriting with the Cardinals and what he wasn't. And he pushed assets down the road. He got more assets for next year when they're going to have a better idea. He got extra picks. He still got players. He didn't push for some one player that was his guy. They're not one player away. They're not five players away. They're not 10 players away. This is, like you said, a rebuild. And he approached it like that. And to me, that was incredibly refreshing. A lot of people said, oh, he should have stuck and got a blue chip. That blue chip's going to be three years into their contract before this team is truly relevant. Is that a smart play by a general manager? It looks good, but is it a smart play? It's not. And I thought Monty Osenfort's approach to this offseason in general was measured and realistic. And that, to me, was incredibly reassuring. The only misstep that I can really think of is I, I don't think they were wise to to hang on to DeAndre Hopkins as long as they did. Mm. We know they were asking for a second round pick from the beginning. And the thing is with with an older player like Hopkins, you know, even as good as he is, you're not trading the player, you're trading the contract. Mm-hmm. They really should have got on this deal way early in the process when everybody had money. Yep. Because then it's a lot easier pill to swallow. 
once free agency happens, the first and the second wave, and once the draft happens, like everybody's got their guy. Yeah. Like they've already got players on the roster. They have their five that they think they have their five. And even though, yeah, DeAndre Hopkins is probably better than most of the receivers on a lot of these teams, like the money is the critical factor here. Mm-hmm. I know they wanted a second round pick. They were negotiating with Baltimore, Buffalo, and Kansas City way early. And like basically once Monty got there, yes, they were negotiating. And th- it went on for months and months and months and everybody was holding out. And they're like, no, we're not, we're not giving you a day two pick. You're fucking insane. Like Amari Cooper went for a fifth. Right. Two years ago, yeah, you know, a, a bunch of other receivers have gone for sixth, seventh yeah, round pick. Much less. They were insane to think they were going to get a second. Mm-hmm. And I think that at some point they should have been like, what about a four? And if they get talked down to a five, fine, because they're not trading the player. They're trading the contract. Yep. And then it ended up they waited so long that they had zero leverage no. whatsoever. Um, and, and there was also some back and forth about not eating the salary because they felt like they were already taking such a big hit with it was like 22 million or something like that they were going to eat no matter what um they didn't want to eat even more of the salary because they already felt like they were being punished but it's like dude you got to do it like gotta play the hand you're dealt it's now or never you know and so they ended up not getting anything for hopkins and still taking a big dead cap hit i would have rather they just really attacked that early in like march um if they had to eat a little bit of the salary, fine. But like they, they ended up getting nothing, and I think that was kind of the only misstep. Once we got through the draft, really day two of the draft, and I didn't expect a day two pick, but I did expect negotiations on day two from maybe a team that didn't get the wide receiver they wanted on day one, or maybe wasn't you know maybe we're early in day two, we're into you know round two, and some team doesn't get the the wide receiver they were hoping for in round two and Hopkins is out there and they deal a day three pick on day two. That felt like a really reasonable scenario. And I actually thought it was likely once we got through the draft and he wasn't traded, I was like, what's, what's going to change besides the fluky injury to really a number one or number two wide receiver in a pass heavy offense. That's going to make anybody change their position from the last two and a half months and nobody did and they ended up with nothing you're not going to hit them all it's just like the draft but could they have done better in that particular situation i was really hoping for a trade during the draft yeah it's not like it crippled them you know they were already (laughs) they're already not in a good spot but it's more so it's like ah almost stuck the landing you know came very close to it uh now with hopkins out of the building there are a lot of questions that people have of Okay, I know the Cardinals aren't going to be good. Probably not going to watch any of their games, but they're still inevitably going to end up on some people's fantasy rosters. That's right. Whether it's best ball, whether it's, you know, people are doing dynasty rookie drafts right now. I've already done three. Uh, any type of fantasy format, let alone pickums during the season. Mm-hmm. People want to know if I'm going to invest in this likely bad Cardinals offense, who do I invest in? You already mentioned somebody who I feel is a tremendous value. Keontae Ingram mm-hmm. is RB71. His ADP is 214.8 on underdog right now. And Ooh. he is a better pure system fit for what we think they're going to run with Colt McCoy, i.e. being a heavy outside zone team. He is a better system fit for that than James Conner, who's going at RB27. 
my theory is that if you completely punt on James Conner, even if it might not pay off early, mm-hmm. by the second half of the year, if you throw your last round pick at Keontae Ingram, he's going to end up out-touching Conner and probably be way more productive. I'm all about that kind of gamble for that player, a player we both liked, I would say, more than the consensus coming out. And, you know, we got to see him in an all-star game and we came away thinking, man, he pretty much do a little bit of everything. He's pretty good at it. Didn't necessarily get highlighted. He's one of those classic, think he might be a better pro than Collegian just because of situation. Uh, Didn't play out in his first year in the league, but now we're in a space where, again, nobody's going to be watching. They're going to be willing to try some things they haven't done in the past. If you're going to be playing Colt McCoy, and it looks like they'll probably start that way, or even Clayton Toon, a little bit more under center is more likely uh, than what you were running with Kyler. And you could find a sort of unheralded player that gets put in a high leverage spot that is picking up points off a bad team because somebody's going to still get points off this team. doesn't matter whether it's yards. I'm not saying there's going to be a ton of touchdowns to go around, but somebody's still going to be making points on the Cardinals roster. Keontae Ingram's a good bet. Um, I skipped down to a wide receiver because a lot of people are going to be looking at Marquise Brown. They're going to be saying, hey, he's a clear number one on this team. Blah, 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 blah. Well, I agree with that. We don't exactly know who's going to be throwing or what that passing offense is really going to be structured like. We can guess at that. But there's another guy on the roster, Rondale Moore. So Marquise Brown is going as wide receiver 33. And to me, that feels actually a little bit high, knowing that we know this offense is going to be particularly stable at the quarterback position. But Rondale Moore is going at wide receiver 65. Yeah. So a whole order of magnitude later. It's like wide or wide receiver six ish range. Right? It's pretty late. And Rondell Moore has shown flashes throughout his career. He hasn't been leveraged in the system that was, but again, the system is changing, and he could very easily, I think, establish a relationship with whoever's starting, whether it's Colt McCoy, whether it's Clayton Tune, and those guys are going to be like, "Hey, I don't have loyalties from college left over for my wide receiver one. Like that guy catches the ball when I throw it to him." And he's a tremendous yak threat. Like he makes me look good. I can throw him a six yard ball accurately and he turns it into a 16 yard gain. Coach, give me a few more looks where he's at least the second option. I think Rondell Moore is going to, in terms of value, now I'm not saying he's going to get more yards or more touchdowns than Marquise Brown, but in terms of the percentage, he's going to match of that production for the much lower cost of acquisition. I like Rondell Moore in this offense. And I think the the big thing with him is is you're looking for peaks in best ball because you don't set a lineup. You know, it's like who's going to give me a big game out of nowhere? And Rondale with his yak ability and really just his his explosiveness period, like he can score on any given play. And so in this offense, which I would imagine Hollywood's going to be kind of the primary deep threat, uh, and then Rondale and then Michael Wilson. Wilson's likely going to be an X. Rondale more in the slot, like. If anybody's just going to get pure volume, it's going to be either Rondale or Wilson, and then it becomes, okay, who can do the most with that volume? The answer is Rondale, just because he can really do a lot of damage in space. Um, Not to mention this is an offense that typically incorporates a lot of jet sweep type stuff in terms of going against the grain of the run action because they try to you know, pull safeties down a little bit. They try to make linebackers rock the other way a little bit. Eventually, they're going to start giving Rondale either tap passes or carries in that regard as well, which is just one more avenue of production for him. So, again, wide receiver 65 for somebody with that kind of explosiveness. I'm all in on that. Um, 
I wanted to bring up Trey McBride because you were a huge Trey McBride guy coming out. He's going significantly earlier than Zach Ertz. And considering his blocking ability in this offense, again, we are talking about Colt McCoy being the starter, under center, running outside zone, a true wide tight end being on the field at all times that can actually block. Trey McBride probably going to outsnap Ertz in that type of system. Ertz is more going to be the second tight end, the move guy, the big slot type guy, whereas McBride is going to be more of the Y. And the Y in this type of system is also the guy that benefits on a lot of those crosses off of bootlegs and stuff like that and kind of getting wide open, you know, green grass to run, just getting dump offs, eight yards past the line of scrimmage, all that kind of stuff. It is more of a a volume uh, position in this style of offense. And I feel like Trey, McGru- Trey McBride, excuse me, is in position where he's going as a TE3 right now and he could very easily have some huge, huge weeks. He could sneak into the TE1 points realm. He's not That's not going to be his role. But in terms of, like you said, for best ball, is he going to have a few of those weeks? I think it really depends on relationships, right? How comfortable whoever's playing quarterback gets with him because quarterbacks will pick a target when they're in trouble. And the Cardinals quarterbacks are going to be in trouble this year. Mm-hmm. And where do they go? Where do they just kind of feel like they can toss it up and that guy, more often than not, is going to convert the catch. And if McBride, he has that toughness at the catch point. If he becomes that for the quarterback, and there's no way to tell that, right? That's that's a feel thing and a chemistry thing and just are you in the right spot and, you know, do you run the route the way I want you to? And there's a lot of those things. If he becomes that safety valve in this offense, he's going to have a few weeks where he produces like a tight end one and you're paying for tight end three to put him on your roster way down. What's his overall ADP? Uh, two. No. Yeah. 202.6. It's 202. very late. You're you're getting him as a as basically a TE3 and most people don't even pick a TE3. So you could slide him onto the end of your roster And he's going to give you a few weeks, maybe a few more than that, if he establishes that relationship pretty quickly as dependable, physical at the catch point. And he's all of those things. So he has that potential. It's whether or not that mesh occurs. Think Owen Daniels, but a little bit more physical. Yeah, beefier. Remember, one more time, if you agree or heavily disagree with any of these value plays we've talked about, most likely disagree. Uh, you can put that to the test over Underdog Fantasy. They're doing best ball drafts right now. Uh, best Ball Mania 4 is really like right in the middle of the, the heavy draft season. There's $15 million in prizes. Biggest draft, uh, biggest best ball tournament, excuse me, ever. Uh, so if you want to draft any lineups into that, it's $25 per entry. And there is thousands of prizes out of that $15 million prize pool. If I recall correctly, first prize is $3 million. <laughs> Uh, last year's winner, by the way, was a subscriber. Yes. Who is apparently way better at fantasy than I am because I didn't <laughs> even get close. He kicked my ass. But, uh, you know, I like to think that uh, some of the content we make maybe maybe helped him a little bit here and there. Either way, uh, promo code bootleg over underdog fantasy that will give you a deposit match up to $100. So anything you put up to 100 that will double it. And that 100 by the way, would be good for basically four free entries into Best Ball Mania 4. Or you can use it during the season uh, on pickums or anything like that. So thank you once again to Underdog for sponsoring the show now and for the next two years. With that, EJ, 
free agency losses. Yeah, and this is the kind of thing you're going to see when an entire power structure turns over in a team. Uh, A.J. Green, notable name, uh, but not necessarily notable player for them anymore. Billy Price, their center, 62% of their snaps, he's gone. Marcus Golden, the edge, 70% of their snaps. Max Garcia, one of those mashing guards we talked about, uh, only 45% of their snaps, but you know was a key pickup for them. He's gone as well. Um, this is a long list. I'm scrolling a lot because you're going to see it's a, a lot. Yeah. You're going to see a huge amount of turnover when this kind of thing occurs. Uh, Zach Allen, interior defensive lineman. He goes over to the Broncos. He played 60 percent of their snaps. Uh, Chosen Anderson, wide receiver, signs with the Dolphins. He was at 45 percent of their snaps, provided them some size, if not a lot of production. Uh, <laughs> big breath. Ben Neiman, the <laughs> linebacker, goes to the Titans. 43% of their snaps, so a key reserve, not necessarily a starter. And then Byron Murphy, the cornerback, ends up with the Vikings. I actually really like that signing for the Vikings, but uh, he played 53% of their snaps and I think has improved each year over the last couple of years. Um, you know, his first season's coming back with full health, sort of proving his potential coming out of UW. Ends up getting almost $9 million to go to the Vikings. Good pickup for them, but a key loss for the Cardinals. Yeah, I was a little bit... Uh surprised that they let Byron go because I kind of figured he'd be a you know in the future plan same thing for Zach Allen I thought he'd be in the future plans too but it, it maybe just came down to a we know we're not hitting now <laughs> it's too far so over the horizon before right we're now. good you know by the time we give them the contract and it runs out they're going to be gone again and then we're going to be at our peak so do we do that and you know the Zach Allen deal is structured in a way that like, hey, maybe he'll be back on the market in a couple of years anyway, so we can go get him again. Uh, and then Byron, I think, as an inside slash outside guy who can play outside, but I think is a fantastic nickel. That was a great pickup by the Vikings too. So uh, a lot of talent has has walked out of the building, or at least some of the talent they actually had. <laughs> That's part of the reason why we're like, eh, it might be a little wild because they were already short. <laughs> on talent before and then two of their their better players on defense walked out the door uh in terms of who they did bring back uh greg dorch had a very reasonable million dollar deal productive number three for them um calvin beecham also very reasonable under three million for a mm -hmm. starting tackle is awesome and will hernandez they also brought back excuse me at four and a half million uh starting guard for them who played a bunch of snaps and has been relatively solid i would say um I would say very up and down early in his career and has now just become again another one of these not cheap but manageable contracts for a starting guard that is not going to get your quarterback killed that often it's a pretty good deal for them yeah i'd say steady and i really want to highlight the greg dorch uh re-signing it's for almost no money everybody's going to look at him say he's small Whenever he's gotten opportunities, which have been fewer and farther between in the Cardinal system, he's made good on them. He is exactly the kind of guy you want down in your receiving or you don't want to be counting on him for wide receiver one or wide receiver two. But if he has to step in as wide receiver three at some point this year in this offense, he's going to be able to produce. He just consistently does a lot with the touches he gets. And for a million dollars, like I don't think anybody's paying attention to that re-signing or, or really having an opinion about it at all. I really liked it. I thought it was under the radar, but but really solid again and fits where they are. It's realistic, right? If Greg Dorch is great, awesome. You look smart. If Greg Dorch is bad for a million dollars, 
nobody's going to care. Nobody cared in the first place. I thought it was a really smart and again, in line with where they are in the, we'll just call it what it is, rebuild, pulling down to the studs. You know, it doesn't cost you too much, but it might get you more benefit um, than you paid for. In terms of third-party additions, again, there wasn't a whole lot of, of money going out the door. Uh, their most expensive player they brought in was Kazir White for $5 million. So, you know, it tells you a lot about their spending priorities. It, it is not a, it's not a 2023 offseason. This is all for 2024. We're just, we're filling in where we need to fill in just to, to get us to 2024. Uh, center was a big need going into this offseason. Uh, they brought in Yalti Fro, Froholt. I hope I pronounced that correctly from Cleveland, uh, 2.3 million. There was a lot of, uh, you know, John Michael Schmitz hype. There was a lot of, uh, I mean, basically name any of the top centers right. in this class. And Give us something. They wanted one of them and they ended up not getting any of them. So Froholt's probably going to be the starting center for them. Uh, Zach Pascal they brought in also from Philly. And other than that, uh, kind of the island of misfit toys, uh, you know, LJ Collier, Chris Barnes, Rashad Fenton, not a whole lot to, to write home about here. Yeah, they needed tutors. Gannon coming over from Philadelphia, they needed one on offense and one on defense. So they brought in Kazir White and Zach Pascal to help, you know, preach the gospel of their offense and their defense and say, this is the way we did it. This is the expectation. Um, somebody that knows the system can get up to speed a little bit quicker. I like Kazir White. I actually hoped he would stay with the Eagles. I thought he had a pretty good year. Um, you know, last year, there's one year there with the team. Zach Pascal was a guy that I hope the Bears would pick up before the Eagles got him last year. Um, again, that's sort of underrated. And he brings a little size to this wide receiver core, which is desperately needed. Um, both value signings, you know, you're talking about 7.2 million spread between the two players. They're going to help. Uh, you know, educate and bring everybody on the current roster into those systems a little bit quicker. You almost always see this when a coach transitions. He'll bring at least one guy, typically on his side of the ball with Gannon, that's defense, um, you know, to say, hey, listen to this guy. This is the this is the player coach. He knows what's going on. He understands the system. He's spent some time in it. And, you know, those two guys are significant for that reason. Are they going to be super significant on the field? No, I would call them medium range players, but both fairly effective other than that, it's we got to fill this roster. Now, where they did bring in like top, top, top talent, like future stars, because they couldn't really do it in free agency, um, was the draft. They had a fantastic draft. This draft by it by itself gave me hope for the Monty Awesome Fort regime. Because this is, in my opinion, the best draft the Cardinals have had in a long time. They really knocked this one out of the park. Yeah, again, that realism of, hey, we can trade down. We, we're not hung on one guy here. We want picks. We want folks we can build towards in the future. They don't all necessarily have to contribute this year. We can grab some developmental guys because, again, when we think we're going to be peaking, when we think we're going to be ready, they'll be there and they'll be able to help contribute and support. So round one, pick six, they get Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State. A lot of people's consensus top tackle, but there was a lot of folks that had other people as the top tackle. Very, very talented player, has played some guard as well. I really do think he'll be a tackle for them and a good one. Um, you know, 
one bookend that they can build around. At least eventually. He's going to be a guard now, but eventually he'll be a tackle. Yeah, I believe that he has the physical skills to hold up as a true edge protector in the NFL for whomever they end up with at quarterback. Um, round two, pick 41, edge B.J. Ojolari from LSU. Really young player, great length, uh, really good on stunts. Um, has more untapped potential, I think. He's still learning. Um grasping his physical gifts he's extremely young just turned 21 um again this is a young player that you can you know get some experience and can be a big part of what you're doing going forward two years from now three years from now round three pick 72 they go for garrett williams the cornerback out of syracuse who was my eddie jackson memorial award winner for defensive back that got hurt and therefore kind of got lost in the draft process a guy that's still developing but showed some great flashes, needs some consistency, but they don't need him to be awesome this year. They didn't draft him for that. He's probably not going to be super strong at the beginning of the season, even if he is back from his knee injury. Next year is really when we're going to see him at full go. He's got great size. He's super aggressive, plays the boundary really well. Big fan of his game. They sort of steal him in the third based on him being injured for the second half of the season. Another pick in round three, number 94. This is where they get Michael Wilson, the receiver out of Stanford that created a lot of buzz at the Senior Bowl with his route running. People went back and said, oh, he's pretty good. Injuries have been his problem. He's going to need to stay healthy. If he does, again, he brings some size, some route running, some toughness, and some speed. He can get down the field uh, when he's got his legs underneath him. Round four, pick 122, player that I really liked. Uh, guard, John Gaines II out of UCLA. Played some guard, played some tackles. One of the most athletic offensive linemen in this entire oh, draft. He is so quick, so fluid. I think he's going to be a starting guard for them at some point. I don't know if it's going to be this year because uh, they seem to have their starters locked in. Uh, assuming it's going to be Paris and, and Will Hernandez. I, I think that's what it's going to be. But... Whenever Will Hernandez moves on eventually, like I think that's John Gaines' job. Like he's going to be really good for them. And to be honest, they might even try him at center this year just because he has the quickness for it. And again, if we're expecting an outside zone heavy system, like what do you need at center? A lot of quickness. I think if Froholt doesn't work out super well, try try John Gaines. Just see if it works. Yeah, the sooner John Gaines hits the lineup, the quicker we know they're going to be moving towards outside zone mm -hmm. because that's where his strengths align. Um, great future player, in my estimation. Round five, pick 139, my favorite pick of their entire draft. And I don't say that lately. I really like Garrett Williams. I thought Paris Johnson was great. I love Clayton Toon. Quarterback out of Houston. I thought he was underrated in this draft cycle. He's a much better runner than people give him credit for. Um, ton of experience in terms of number of throws, number of snaps he has taken, number of reads he's made in college. One of the more experienced players in college coming out in this draft. And look, I love Colt McCoy. I've been a Colt McCoy defender since his time at Texas. And every time he's gotten a starting opportunity and I've said, this is it in the NFL, he's lasted like four games yeah. and gotten injured. Yeah, And it's just, I feel terrible for him because I really do believe he could be a good mid-level quarterback at the NFL level. He just can't stay healthy. And if that happens this year, it's Clayton Toon's show. Mm -hmm. And I think he might be good. I mean, if there was ever a, a chance for him to get that opportunity, it's going to be this year. Even just to see what he's got, you know? Because, like, we, we know what Colt McCoy is, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, if, if stuff's going wrong and we know they're not bringing Kyler back if they're, like, one and seven, because what's the point, right? Uh, but if stuff's going wrong, like, See what you got in Clayton Toon. Why not? 
and he is <laughs> very familiar with throwing to wide receivers who are small and quick and can separate. Uh, he was Tank Dell's quarterback this year or, or last year in college. I, I just think put a star by his name. I think he's a sneaky good oh, pick. He's going to be preseason darling in August. Yes, yeah, yes. I you know uh, round five a tremendous value for them. If you get anything out of a quarterback you pick in round five, it's a tremendous pickup for your for your ball club. Another pick in round five, uh, pick one sixty eight, <laughs> linebacker Owen Papo from Auburn finally comes out of college. Have <laughs> we been talking about this for the last two years? Physical specimen, massive hitter, has holes in his game that he needs to figure out. This was the first pick where I was kind of like, uh, round five? Like, I get it. He's a missile, but he's a missile without any sort of guidance system. And uh, yeah, a little early for me. And early. what I said when they picked him to you, which is probably one of my best lines from the entire draft, is, hey, they waited until the fifth round to pick their <laughs> super gifted inside linebacker they don't know what they're going to do with. Come on, that's an improvement. Um, really like his physical potential. We'll see uh, which role they pick for him. He's moved around a little bit at Auburn. Um, and how they use those physical gifts, because, yeah, they don't pair up with instincts right now. But, man, when you talk about a missile, in terms of a physical profile, fast, and just loves contact. There's no other way to say that. Yeah, no, it's it's Denzel Perriman wearing an eye patch who doesn't have depth perception and can't see left. Like, that's <laughs> that's what it is. That's a fantastic description. Round six, this is pure steel. Um, in competition with Clayton Toon, my favorite pick overall, for their draft, 180. Keetrell Clark, Louisville. If you don't know who Keetrell Clark is, Go check out our interview with him also on this channel. Um, fantastic nickel, extremely smart player, great instincts, great anticipation, great quickness, not necessarily great size, but all those other things we mentioned make up for that. And he makes a ton of plays going forward, understands he's going to have to play the run, is extremely effective in short to medium zones because of that quickness, because of his understanding of leverage. Um, we talk about pre-snap reads all the time with quarterbacks. He has more pre-snap reads as a cornerback than I think most players we've talked to in the last couple of years. Love, love, love this player. Because he can play anything, right? You know, it, He's going to get on the field. We just don't know what spot yet but the fact that he can be a good player at a variety of roles uh it that's the type of pick that i really like on day three is we know he's good we don't know where he fits but we know we can get him snaps and figure it out as we go you know it's it's one thing if you're investing a top 15 pick in that type of guy where it's like yeah he's talented we'll figure it out that's <laughs> when you're kind of like oh i don't know but like six rounder getting that kind of talent versatile talent i should say can't go wrong yeah, and their final uh, pick, round six, 213, Dante Stills, defensive lineman, West Virginia. I really think he's going to be a sort of five to four eye rotational three um, just to go get her in terms of a penetrator, guy that can mess up offensive game plans, did regularly at West Virginia. I was surprised he lasted this long. I thought based on his tape and production, I understand size is a concern. I, but I think it was a medical thing. It, it felt like it had to be. He's yeah. more talented than a sixth-round player to me. Maybe it would have been a solid fourth or fifth-round pick. Uh, by the time we got to six, and I, he was one of those players, I'll admit, he got picked, and I was like, he was still on the board? Yeah. What, what are we talking about here? But if you look at that draft class, top to bottom, Paris Johnson, B.J. Ojolari, Garrett Williams, Michael Wilson, John Gaines, Clayton Toon, Papo, Keetra Clark, 
and Dante Stills. Like, I'm with you. The one I have sort of a question or sort of a frowny face or just a mid, like, I'm not sure, is Papo. And if that's it out of that many picks all the way down the board and the rest of them, you're like, I can see a path to playing time. I can see a fit. I can see a role. I can see a development opportunity. That's a great draft. I think pretty much all their picks other than the first two got pulled out of all-star games, too, uh, between Shrine Bowl and Senior Bowl. Like, they very clearly were prioritizing the all-star circuit, which most most good front offices do, to be honest, because that's sure. one of the most valuable resources for any scout or GM is not only just the, the practices at all-star games, but also getting to sit down and interview guys. Like, our interviews with Keytrell and Dante are what convinced me that they were going to be awesome. Yep. Because just breaking down film with them and seeing how they understand the game, I was like, oh, shit, like, they're... They, they were really telling good. us stuff. <laughs> yeah. We were like, wait, that was what you were doing right there? He's like, yeah, that's me signaling the guy behind me that I'm going and he needs to fill. He's telling his other defenders where he's going to be and what he's doing before the snap. Again, when I talk about pre-snap, that's what I mean. And uh, it's not as common as you might think. Especially for for guys their age. You know, it's just not a not a common thing. Uh, notable undrafted free agents. Eh. Not it, a ton. Yeah. I mean... Blake Whitehart maybe could make the roster. Kyle Soley on special teams. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think he's going to be a starting linebacker. But like special teams, I could understand. Other than that, not really anything to write home about in the UDFA class. They had one of the more underwhelming classes for me. Yeah, I really like Blake Whitehart. He was one of the guys that caught my eye early in the process. Um, nobody was really talking about him. Uh, there were some other folks that were being talked about that ended up being uh, slightly higher draft picks. Of course, anybody's a slightly higher draft pick if they got picked because he was a UDFA. Um, I think there's some talent there. I think he could eventually be your um, tight end three, uh, four-phase special teamer guy that can come in and, and take the tight end two snaps if there's an injury or somebody gets dinged up and be productive at that. It's a useful role. He's never probably going to be a big contract guy. Probably going to bounce around the league a couple of times, but you need those guys on your roster. Um, I know it's not exciting. I know it's not sexy, but that's the kind of guy you go out and get in UDFA. That's what those picks are for. So I like to pick up a Blake Whitehart. Uh, we interviewed Kyle at the Shrine Bowl. Smart guy, but again, I think he's going to be making his living the exact same way on the flip side, on, on defense and special teams. Don't think he's going to be a primary player. Don't necessarily know that he's going to make the 53 right off, but coaches rave about him really smart. Understand that after having sat down with him. He understands the game. Spent a good amount of snaps in college. Very experienced player. Uh, not the most physically gifted, but not slow necessarily. Just not a lot stands out about his game, so he's going to be fighting for a roster spot. Um you know, he's going to be one of those guys that's continually on the bubble and is going to make his living in the NFL through effort. That brings us to our final report card, as well as our ceiling and floor predictions. Uh, report card, again, you can get three, technically five grades. It's up or slightly up or even or down or slightly down. Uh, and that's for four different categories, front office, coaching, offense, and defense. Offense and defense are less about the coaching, more so about the talent front office and coaching speaks for itself. Uh, for the front office category, we're going up, but not for the reason that you think. <laughs> Typically, we can't necessarily grade a draft right now. We need a couple years for that. And they didn't really get to do a whole lot in free agency. And I do feel like the Hopkins situation wasn't handled great. And so you might be wondering, okay, then 
Why is this not down or why is this not even? I think based on how Austin Fort operates and the plan that we think he is trying to execute, A, reminds me a lot of what Ryan Poles just went through. Uh, B, I trust him more to do it than I trust trusted the previous regime under their former GM. I think it's hard to be a downgrade from the former regime, and therefore I'm willing to give them an up based on that. You got to play the hand you're dealt. The hand that Monty Osmond was dealt was lousy, right? If you're dealt that hand in poker, you just pretty much fold, <laughs> right? And he has to strip it down to the studs. He has to get rid of contracts. He has to bring in a new coach and adapt to new systems on both sides of the ball. It's a lot. And if he had taken big swings for high-profile players early on, not amassed picks, stacked them for later years, and been realistic about this, Cardinals would be in the same hole next year. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, in terms of coaching, we are also giving slightly up, not full up, right. slight up, you know, uh, which I think is is fair because, again, we haven't, uh, fully seen <laughs> what this coaching staff is going to do, and they don't really have a great hand being dealt to them, again, by the previous regime. But I also am a believer in this staff, and I think that they are bringing, A, an offense that has proven to work almost everywhere it's gone in the NFL, even if it might take them a couple years to really get into it. And also, they're bringing with them a defensive scheme that has been proven to be all the rage across the NFL as well. And it, this is more of a trust play than anything, but I trust this staff to eventually, by 2024, 2025, to be able to execute that plan. I'm not willing to give it an even. I'm not willing to give it a down. So I'm, I'm, I'm good with like a slight upgrade here. Yeah, fresh air is good. This was a good change. Um, the Cliff era really felt like it run its course. He was doing the things he was doing and he was getting the things he was getting and there wasn't a lot of change there. We kept saying, okay, we're, we're waiting for him to adjust a little bit. Like we've talked about um, Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. It was like, okay, not awesome your first year. We need you to get better in certain categories. And he did. Cliff seemed to make um, some of the similar mistakes over and over again. And it just felt like that was going to keep happening. So it feels like a good break, a good change. And yeah, it's more about faith saying it's up and that they will pay forward on that promise um we'll see but it feels good for now and I, I bet it feels good to cardinals fans as well in terms of offensive and defensive talent again we love the draft want to reiterate that there are some future pieces that we're excited about but it has to be down it, it really has to be down kyler's probably not going to play this year because yep. we don't think they're going to have a record that would necessitate bringing him back early from that knee injury anyway you know, obviously Hopkins is no longer there. The receiving core is it, like on, on paper, it could be OK, but we're we're still not entirely sure. It depends how much are we getting from Dorch, how much are we getting from Rondale. And, you know, obviously with, uh, with Michael Wilson coming into there's some unknowns there. Um, are they even really going to lean on Keontae Ingram? We think they will, but we still got to see it happen. Uh, offensive line has some youth questions. And the defense, you know, you're losing Allen, you're losing Byron. Those were two of your better defensive players. They're not got, they're not there anymore. You know, we're shifting positions for our two former first-round picks at linebacker. There's a lot of unknowns there, too. It has to be down for both of them, which 
is to be expected, but we couldn't justify anything else. Now, this is the rebuild part of rebuild, yeah. right? We had to get rid of what was here, both in terms of contract, aging players, talent that doesn't fit the schemes as we see it going forward. This is the low, and you're not, you were dead on when you said this is really close to what Ryan Poles did last year in Chicago. He came in and said, I need to clean this, you know, down to the pad and then start over. And that was awesome for his task this year. He's going through it, but there's no way to look at the roster and go, oh, well, while you're going down, you're going up. No, you're just, you're going down. We have developmental pieces that we're excited about, but they're not going to play out this year. And that's practical and reasonable. So, down this year with hopes that it will turn around in the next couple of years. In terms of ceiling and floor for win totals and lot, or yeah, I guess just win totals here. In terms of ceiling and floor, the ceiling for wins uh, and the floor for wins, both of these are fairly negative, not going to lie. I, I guess my ceiling of six is about the best case scenario. You put them at five. It's probably not going to be that high. That being said, everything that we've talked about in this episode, if they fully convert to outside zone and running from under center and McCoy stays healthy and Keontae Ingram does what we think Keontae Ingram's going to do and Hollywood has a great year and the defense somehow gels and all these linebackers immediately take to their new spots and they're totally good. And the secondary, you got the young guys coming in and they play amazing and the pass rush is somehow fine. If all of that happens, six win team. Best case scenario. You lost me at McCoy stays healthy. I know. I know. <laughs> it was the third thing you said, and I glazed over. Sorry. Didn't mean to. Uh, it's going to be difficult for them to stack wins. Um, in the first part of the year, there's a lot of mesh going on. There's coaching staff with new players, new systems, new roles. Hey, I thought you were going to be there. Timing issues, new quarterbacks. Like, There's just a lot going on on both sides of the ball. I, I concentrated on offense there, but just as many on the defensive side. Hey, I thought you had that guy. I thought that was your zone. Nope. And they're going to be sort of that's going to be playing out on the field. That's going to equal more losses than wins. Um, I would be very surprised if they won any. <laughs> I was going to say many, if any, tight games in the first half of the season because those kind of adjustment issues will just lump them together in a folder. Um, keep those things from happening pretty typically. And then in the back half, they're going to be transitioning to younger players to see if they have talent. Um, again, I don't think they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. I would be very surprised if they were. It's going to be about, hey, we need an audition for this player to see if they're going to fit with us going forward. Um, you know, playing vested veterans at that point makes no sense at all. Um, it's going to be very tough for them to stack wins. In terms of floor, again, I, I went one higher than you. My floor is two. Your floor is one. It's very hard to be a winless team in the NFL. Well, I shouldn't say hard to be a winless team. You can be a winless team in the NFL. Cleveland did it recently. But it's unlikely. Yep. Like most football games, even between bad teams and good teams, are still somewhat close. Uh, so they're probably not going to be winless. Right. But I could also very easily see them win like two games and be the first overall pick. Would not shock me at all. No, I put one. And again, floor is all about if the wheels fall off, if everything bad happens. It already fell off. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but if the presumptive starter quarterback gets hurt early, if either side of the ball doesn't buy in to the new coaching staff, right? They sort of chafe and don't want to mesh with the new systems and, and resist a little bit. 
it can be a difficult pull. And look, they're going to sort those issues out and personnel over the long term. You can see guys get released midseason. Usually happens with, you know, full GM coaching changeovers. Hey, this guy is just not what we need in the locker room. He's not giving us enough on the field to warrant us keeping him. It's a surprise to everybody outside the organization. Um, if all of that bad stuff, just like all the good stuff that we listed for their ceiling happens, yeah, they could they could steal one. Are they going to go winless? Unlikely, like you said. Like, there's a lot of pride in the NFL. These are professional athletes. Everybody's trying hard. Nobody's trying to lose games. They'll probably steal one from another team that just isn't ready that week. It's in any given Sunday league, and these are all pros. Not all pros. These are all <laughs> professionals. Yeah. Good <laughs> to, distinction. There. To be clear. Um, so they'll probably win one or two games. Uh, is that enough to get them into the Caleb sweepstakes? It might be. They'll have a decision to make at that point. Um, is that what we think is likely? No, that's what we think is worst case scenario. Are they probably going to be somewhere in the middle like the Bears were? Three, four win team? I think that's probably the most likely outcome. I want to be clear with this. If they're the first overall pick and they have to choose between Caleb and Kyler, I'd bet a pretty big chunk of money they're, they're choosing Caleb. The only reason they wouldn't take Caleb is if Caleb says, I don't choose you. Right. Caleb is a better prospect than Kyler was. And Kyler was taken first overall, and for good reason. Yes. Caleb's better. 100%. Everybody who watched both of them play at OU thought Caleb was better. Everybody that we've talked to that's been around Caleb at USC has said astronomical things about yeah. him. Like, it's superhero stories. I'm talking off the field, not just on the field, like in yeah. the meeting rooms. No, he's the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. There are teams that see him right up there with Trevor Lawrence in terms of prospect grade because all the teams have already graded him. Like, next year's draft class is, is, for the most part, already done. You know, this this coming season for these college kids is just confirmation, right? Flavor. Yeah. He's the dude. If he's there and he's willing to go to Arizona and their first overall – I think sprint to the podium. Kyler gets traded. And that's that's another thing. It's like if they're in pole position for first overall, A, they're not playing Kyler because why would you bring him back early? But B, they're not playing Kyler because we need to keep him healthy so we can trade him to insert AFC South team here. No, 100% agree with that. If they are in position, like you said, to get Caleb, go get Caleb. Uh, he fits better with your plan of we're going to be ready in – two to three years at that point it's closer to two than it is to three based on his talent you're going to build the rest of the building around him um you know kyler's future seems uncertain for multiple reasons not just the injury but that he was really cliff's hand-picked guy cliff is not there anymore how does he mesh with what they want to do um is he flexible like system flexible he feels a little bit less system flexible than some other quarterbacks um caleb is has None of those limitations right now agreed if he's willing to come to the desert and you can sell him the pitch that you're going to build the franchise around him for the next 10 years. Yeah, you do that like with zero hesitation. I take it back. He's not going to Tennessee. Raiders would trade for him. Really? I think so. Maybe. I, for I Kyler, think, that is, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a destination for Kyler. I'm not sure it's Raiders, but somebody – will take a very talented quarterback because there are always 
there always is a greater need for quarterbacks than there is supply. And he is a very talented quarterback. He has oh, his yeah. No, I'm not saying Kyler's bad. I'm just yeah. saying Caleb is like yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> Kyler is not a reason that you don't take Caleb. No. There's five of those in the whole league. Yeah. Maybe six. But anyway, Cardinals fans, hopefully that gave you a little bit of hope. If not for 2023, for 2024 and beyond. We're just trying to be realistic. We're, we're trying to do our jobs here and, and and not blow smoke up your ass. We're I don't, not about that. I don't want to say that. I don't want to give you too much hope for 2023, but I think 2024 and beyond is looking good. Uh, stay tuned tomorrow. We're talking Rams, another team that is trying to bounce back. Uh, tr- you know, recently went to the Super Bowl, won a Super Bowl, and then promptly <laughs> fell on their face when the when the bill came due. But I think most teams would be willing to pay uh, pay that tab anytime if it means getting a trophy. That's right. But they're trying to rebuild as quickly as they can to get back to contender status. We'll go over everything they did to try to do that tomorrow because they had a very intriguing offseason themselves. And from there, we go to Seattle, then San Francisco, and then wrap up the whole division. So until tomorrow, see you then. Take care.